0: June 21, 2021, it's a lot for Pedro's show.
1: it from the front and look at it from the back. When you see the embroidery, you must look from the back and from the front. Right. It looks as good in the back as in the front.
2: I know, I saw so
3: many numbers. <laughs> <laughs> he showed us a number. You couldn't see where the decimal point was.
2: Look at all these numbers. <laughs>
1: Now even you pay me $10,000, you pay me to get another one like that, you cannot be fortunate. It. It's just a one piece, You can never get through this family. You can never get one another like that.
2: But this is the top,
1: there is nothing better than that exists, nothing better embroidery than that.
3: For your new venture, I suggest you that take chance between 21st of June to 20th of August. 21st of June 21st of June to 20th. 21st of June to 20th of August. Okay. okay. This period yes. is the best period for you. If you will take any chance for any new venture, especially on 6, 15, and 24, then it will be
1: best for you. Okay. Then I can say that nothing will will happen wrong. Okay.
0: For Pedro's show, happy Monday. Started off with John Coltrane doing Countdown. Then Tom Blum or Blum?
3: Uh, either one. I, I pronounce it Blum. Okay. Like okay. Plum.
0: I should have asked before the people, but right you can right. tell I I'm not wrong. man alone. you <laughs> the wonders of those Estonian software engineers and their Skype invention. I got, and I've been enlightened to the correct pronunciation, Tom Blum. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Tom.
3: Thank you, Mike.
0: Yeah, we heard your tune uh, "Post" from Rajasthan. Uh-huh. Yeah, amazing stuff you sent me. We got to thank the Brutal Sound Effects crew for the connect. Thank you much, big, uh, highly populated crew. Now, yes. I want to learn about your uh, journey. What led to this? What's <laughs> the responsibility for this uh, expression? <laughs> it's, I'm really into it. So, please bring us your earliest musical recollection.
3: Tom. Boy, it's hard because my mind doesn't go back that far, but it, but it does in this particular. It, <laughs> we had a um, particular uh, case because I, I, you know, I was well, preparing well, well, myself for this question because I'd been told you, 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 like to go into the Wayback Machine with the yeah, people. Yeah, I had you. a guy
0: on last episode, right? We yeah, really nice man, beautiful music up. Oh, uh, in Oaktown close to you. He brought me a memory from when he was, you know, in the two years old, like in the crib. Yep. He saw the bars of the crib and shit. So. Yep. Yep. Well, mine's
3: similar. I, I was fortunate to be born into a family with some, you Dave, know, with Dave some,
0: Slusser. It was Dave Slusser. My Dave remember. Slusser. Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, uh, I,
3: uh, I, I uh, had a recollection, many recollections from being somewhere between three and five, three and four years old. Uh, my sister is eleven years older than I am. So when I was about three, she was, you know, fourteen or something, and uh, and she was totally into rock and roll. You know, she was she had all the Elvis records and all the Vic Damone and Frankie Avalon and the Letterman. And she used to play that stuff till the wheels would fall off. And um, and I had a rocking horse. And so I'm three and I'm on my rocking horse. You're rocking with, out on the
0: rocking, rocking horse. Rock out to her music.
3: <laughs> and my mom, who was very supportive of all musical endeavors, would uh, make sure that my sister, you know, got to the record shop to buy the latest 45s. And uh, as soon as she'd get back, you know, I'd go into the family room where I knew the turntable was and my rocking horse and we would just rock out. Um, so that's probably that's That's a good one. I I like that one.
0: That's that's very uh formative
3: (laughs) uh, (laughs) or or premonition of what was to come. It it feels just like yesterday to me, whereas things that happened yesterday, I can't remember (laughs) at (laughs) all. I can
0: totally empathize with you, brother Tom. I'm at a
3: certain age,
0: (laughs) I think you're four years older than me. I'm 57, you're 53. Birth
3: date, birth date. No, I'm in the other direction. Mike. No, but
0: I think you're born in
3: '54. '54. Oh, you're born in '53. And '57. 57. Oh, '57. 57. Okay, so we're close. three years on me. Yeah, we we can share some of the same uh, recollections. Absolutely.
0: Probably. Let me ask you about this pad with the support of Ma. Very habitant. Uh Was there musical instruments?
3: Yeah, that was the other part of it too as early, early recollections, musical experiences, um, my mother played a little piano. Uh, she could sit down and, you know, read some sheet music and play popular songs of her day and, and our day. And my sister played a little piano as well, but mostly played flute. In fact, she still plays flute. And so I grew up in a family where You know, my dad was not musical, but my mom and my sister were both musical. And so there was always some kind of music going on in the house. And I used to listen to my mom and my sister. This is probably more when I was like five and they would play duets. And, uh, you know, and then. Yeah. And so there was a lot of my mother also loved the big bands. And so she would play a lot of big band music. Um, from the '40s, and you know, and then she'd play a lot of rock. With, my sister loved rock, and so, um, so yeah, there was music going on in my in well, my let, house. Let
0: me ask you this: Did you ever jump on that fucking piano?
3: Oh well, I was thrown at it um,
0: <laughs> at, at six. Oh, you had I, the lesson? Did you have the? Some people it was well, a bad
3: ordeal. What? Well, yeah, I mean, well, I had a mixture. Of, it was a good and a bad experience. I had. Um, we had a little spinet in our house. Cause like I said, my mom played, my sister had learned to play a bit. And so when I got to be about five or six and I was, you know, crying to get a guitar, they said, well, you're going to learn piano first. So I said, Oh God, you know, I hate that instrument. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it, but I just didn't have any affection for it. Even when I, you know, was that age, but I took piano lessons from Mrs. Andrews who was, who all, every, all the kids in my neighborhood took from Mrs. Andrews. And, uh, I had a really hard time practicing, but right above our piano was a like a reproduction print of a Miro, uh very abstract painting, watercolor. And uh, it was a it was a print of a watercolor, very abstract, and I loved that painting. And I used to look at that and I would improvise it on the piano instead of practicing when the caissons go marching along, <laughs> I would Playing whatever I was interpreting from looking at that Moreau, and you know, my mother never really discouraged it. I would, I would do all kinds of, you know, clustering, and I would, you know, just I just had the best time. That was the only time that I found any affinity for the piano, and it was all because of uh, Juan Moreau. Well,
0: you know, uh, there's a great museum in his name in Barcelona.
3: I, uh, I've heard about that. I've never been to that. That there, that
0: and all the Gaudi stuff makes that yeah. fucking happen in Art Town. People Absolutely. are getting out, traveling and seeing stuff. Fuck Disneyland. Barcelona. <laughs> 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 no, yeah, because his his work very inspiring. You know, there's something yeah. about that one what art one artist can do for another. I've been yeah. so inspired by painting. You know, my best friend Raymond Pettibone, and also literature. Right. The, uh-huh. the, these levels of abstraction, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Why not? Why? Uh, it's, it's a trippy kind of communication. Uh, what it, can I ask you about school? Were you in the uh-huh. choir or the marching band or shit like that?
3: No, I was. You know, in school, I um, I wasn't in any of the musical, you know, the organized musical uh, parts of the school. Um, but I did, as I said, at a very so. I think in 64, so I was 10, that's when the Beatles were introduced to America, thanks to the Ed Sullivan Show, which you may remember, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Uh, but he was the one who introduced America, you know, widespread to the Beatles in 1964, and I was already well steeped in, you know, rock and roll at that point, and, and some jazz, some big band but I just loved the Beatles and I immediately wanted to get in a band. And so I was about nine or 10 years old and I had, I had gone past my ukulele, which they got me instead of a guitar when I was six. Um, (laughs) They couldn't find a guitar small enough for me. So they thought, well, maybe a ukulele. (laughs) Um, But then I I graduated to a steel string acoustic guitar, um, which uh, was kind of fun. And then I, I just met these people when I was about, God, I must have been 9, 10 years old, 11 years old. I met two dear people that remained friends. One of them, unfortunately, passed away, but the other, Dan Warner. Dan Warner and Dave Bennett, um, two very, very talented, very young, in the same age as I was, uh, musicians, and we were all on the same page. We decided when we were nine that we would form a band so this was in '63, I guess, or '64. We formed a band. We had a name; It was called uh, the Esoterics. <laughs> My sister painted the band's name on the bass drum head of Dan's drums, and we started gigging. I mean, we were, you know, we would play outside our garage. Uh, that's where we'd practice. The neighborhood couldn't help but hear us, and uh, and then uh, we started getting little gigs at like the your, Junior. Your buddy st- I I played bass at that point. Oh and, oh oh! I
0: thought and, you were playing that steel string. Acoustic. No, at
3: that point, actually, then I was playing. I was playing rhythm guitar. Right, we didn't have a bass player. We had a we had two guitars and a drum okay. drummer. Okay, and uh, you know, but we were nine, and <laughs> uh, and it, we could make a lot of noise. It sounded great. So sure. so yeah, I instead of being like in the school band and. Uh, and the choir, you know, church choirs and things like that, I just went directly to being in rock bands.
0: That's great.
3: So I was in rock bands from 9 to about 18. Okay, Uh,
0: Uh, let me play Combustible, and then I want to hear about the first Esoterics gig. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. <laughs> Not for Pivo's show, that chunk of music started off with Tom Bum doing Combustible. Then Petra Hayden doing uh, her daddy Charlie, wrote this piece called Silence with uh, Egberto Gismante. And then the uh, Hellbeans out from England with uh, Jerusalem Umber Sam Locke Ward with Shit Starter out of Iowa, Iowa City, in fact. The plural of vinyl is vinyls. The born shitsters out of Fukuoka. I, I'm actually, there's some braille bass going on, some miming going on there. I feel like I was in the, the esoterics as the the mime bass <laughs> player. And then Bob Bucko out of Dubuque. I will love uh, plasm, love psalm. There's a slash there, people. The bomb was Brendan, group therapy, and finally. Impetuous Improv on Rolling Record Cart. <laughs> That's a title, to Tom Blum. Okay, so let's tell us about the fucking first Esoteric Ski.
3: Well, let's see. We played. Um, I remember we played at a, a dance for this. Uh, there was like an extracurricular uh, organization called um, Junior Assembly, and Junior Assembly was a thing where they would they would teach kids how to socialize with one another in a polite manner. So it was learning how to dance, but not, you know, not rock dance, but, you know, traditional classical dance or whatever. We learned waltzes or they learned waltzes. And one of the reasons I think I got into bands was because I just couldn't stand the idea of dancing. And (laughs) if I was playing in the band, I didn't have to dance.
2: Yeah, understood.
3: (laughs) So anyway, the first job we played, I think uh, I must have been about 9, 10, 11, something like that. As were my as were my bandmates, and we played for Junior Assembly. Were you scared? No, actually, it was just a lot of fun. And okay. I was—I wasn't I was there. Talking, you got to tell me, Doc. <laughs> I was the least afraid. I had the least stage fright at that very first gig that I've ever had afterwards.
0: <laughs> Shows and you kept, go, yeah. So, t- t- tell me about this. When do you get into stage. the bass, yeah, you, yeah. When does that happen?
3: Well... Well, so I, I neglected to say that even though I was steeped in rock, I just loved guitar and I loved I loved uh, Andre Segovia. I didn't know who oh, yeah. he was at that age, but but I heard his music, you know, I heard him performing um, and I loved it. And I thought, I'm going to take up classical guitar. So so I had this balance of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing rock guitar and learning bass, but I'm also learning classical guitar uh, from he was like I learned from this guy named John McCormick, who was a he was like the only classical guitar teacher in my town. And um, and he was the first professional musician that I ever encountered in, in my life. You know, someone who actually made a living performing music and teaching. And I thought, wow, what a cool life. You know, that's that's what I want to do. So I stuck with classical guitar and, and I played that from about nine to eight. About age 9 to 18 or so, I got okay at it. Um, but, you know, that was really sort of a sidetrack. The rock the rock stuff was, you know, what what I really spent most of my time doing. And the bass, yeah. Yeah, bass. I, I wanted to know about the
0: bass. Like, what was your first bass?
3: My first bass. And, you know, I saw a picture on your website, um, and I think we had the same bass. I, I had... I don't remember exactly what the very first bass was that I had, but the bass that I ended up using and loving the most at first was an EB3, a Gibson ah. three. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think it was EBO. I can't remember. the EBO, EBO or... had one pickup. EB3 had two pickups.
3: Right, and I think I started with an EBO, and then I and then I traded it in, and I upgraded to the EB3, yeah. and just a beautiful like a cherry finish bass. Oh, it's a beautiful bass. Yeah. And yeah, I, so had to, probably, I, I,
0: I had to go to those for live gigs because my hands were getting sore and they're short scale.
3: Yeah, it was good for someone like me who had, you know, who was small, you know, short, and I had small hands and stuff. So that was a very good bass for me. And then and then much, much later, I ended up getting uh, – I went through a whole litany of basses. I had, you know – gibsons and i had a rickenbacker bass and i had a dan electro bass oh yeah masonite <laughs> i had that bass i can't remember who made it but it was it was lucide and it was clear
0: oh dan uh, armstrong
3: dan arms yeah and that thing weighed like a I don't ton know,
0: yeah yeah greg ginn had the guitar version
3: okay. i got rid of that i got rid of that and i got a fender jazz and that's what i ended up no,
0: no, but you are you playing bass for other people or are they your projects
3: no, I was playing bass in, in other bands. Yeah. So I went on with different bands and uh, at probably about the time I was 12 or so, I think I had switched from rhythm guitar and moved over to bass.
0: Can I and, ask you, did you ever compose on the bass?
3: I never did compose yeah, on the bass.
0: Yeah, I, I find that. But I think that is the future of the bass as a composition tool. I do a lot of it. Uh, can oh, I ask great. you, what is your connect with music an electron, what we're hearing today. Oh,
3: <laughs> well, again, it was through uh, well, there were a couple incidences that occurred, but the primary one um, was when I it, I was uh, 18 and I decided I would uh, venture off to California. Um, and I got uh, accepted to a, to a school there known as CalArts or California Institute sure. of the Arts. I got accepted for classical guitar it was one of the only schools in the united states that offered a classical guitar major wow. and so uh there was there and there were uh, might have been like two other schools on the east coast um but i got accepted into cal arts for classical guitar and i went there and the day that i got well i got there i'd never been to california in fact i hadn't really been out of ohio too much except to go to the east coast when i was a kid but I got to uh, CalArts, and the first night I was in the dorm by myself. And the next day, the door, there's a knock at the door. I open the door. There's a fellow who's going to be my roommate. Um, and he walks in with a rather strange-shaped case and a suitcase and uh, asked him what was in the other case. And he said, oh, it's a synthesizer. And I said, oh, well, you know, I didn't, I wasn't even sure exactly what it was. I'd heard one, like, on Weather Report, you know. And uh, <laughs> Joe Zaldonel. Joe Zawinul, but I'd never actually seen one. And he, and he happened to have the same one that Joe Zawinul had, which was an ARP wow. Twenty Six. So he opened it up. And I think before we'd ever really said much to each other at all, he was just noodling around on it. And I was totally blown away.
0: What's his name, Tom? Uh,
3: well, so it turned out the person that I met as my roommate was Curtis Rhodes,
0: oh,
2: wow.
3: who uh, is one of the preeminent people in computer music these days. <laughs> I've watched him send to that level. Um, and uh, we've we've been very good friends uh, for, God, I guess now like 50 years. Well, that's years. a good
0: connect to have with electronic music.
3: Oh, I've been so lucky. <laughs> let me tell you. So I met at CalArts within the first week I was there. You know, I met, uh, well, Curtis Rhodes and then Earl Howard, um, who's another, you know, monster musician and composer <laughs> um, and electronic music guy, uh, as well as a saxophone uh, player and composer. And so they became, you know, they and several other people and I became fast friends. And I just sort of watched everything they were doing and listened and, you know, got got an education. And so by the time I was three or four months into my tutelage at Cal Arts, I decided I was going to dump the classical guitar, which I had discovered at that point, too, that I had learned a lot of bad habits on classical guitar <laughs> and was going to take forever. So um, and I really. I just loved the synthesizer and that notion of being able to make sounds that you'd never heard before or I'd never heard before, and so that's really what what bit me. That's what got me into it uh, was encountering those people. So within the first three or four months I was at Cal Arts, I pretty much abandoned classical guitar. I told my um, well, not just told,
0: classical guitar, but guitar period, right?
3: Yeah, guitar period, and I was no longer playing in bands, because now I was at college away or from all Or even bass,
0: my... you let go of the bass.
3: I don't even think I took my bass with me to <laughs> CalArts. <laughs> okay, okay. And so, And so I just, you know, I burned a couple bridges there and, and <laughs> started building a new one. Right, and,
0: absolutely. Uh,
3: yeah, so, so CalArts was really uh, kind of a turning point for me. It was a wonderful breeding ground. If you had any notion of what you wanted to do already, that was a place that would foster your creativity. And I was very fortunate because when I did switch my majors and got accepted into composition there, uh, my mentor was James Tenney. And oh, I got
0: to see, Thurston took me to see him conduct a, uh, uh, a, a symphony or whatever. These guys were playing uh, regular I- instruments, brasses and woodwinds, but like with microtones.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah so james was a, a was a wonderful you know person to just sit around and chew the fat with i don't i didn't learn a lot of composition specifically from him but i learned a lot of other things <laughs> and uh you know really valuable things and so i was very fortunate our musical tastes were somewhat different but at the point that i met james um he had already gone through a a, a series of work at bell labs
0: i got a i got a tell you we're at the end of the first hour why don't you continue with this when we come back sure. to the second hour tom but sounds great we're, we're uh, june 21 2021 by the way happy solstice longest day of the year people
3: same to you what <laughs>
0: okay uh special guest tom blum hold time for hour two june 21 2021 it's the second hour of what for pedro show
2: It's time
1: There's no more time for us Who's the boss?
0: I can't be sure of anything
1: But I'm positive
2: Meant to hurt you.
1: This morning I woke from a dream where everything was broken. There's no understanding
2: Or are you just lost
1: The aching
2: يلا اعمله ده يلا 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 يلا
3: يلا 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 يلا
1: يلا 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 يلا
2: يلا 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 يلا
3: يلا 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 يلا
1: يلا 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 Pra <cười>
3: Here, <laughs> <sugar>, come <sugar, laughs>
2: <sugar, sugar, laughs>
0: Show. We start the second hour with Tom Blum. Four poems, somewhat. Then Ben Salter with uh, in Tasmania with Departure. Lucas Abel from nearby Sydney. G is for Gout. And then Tom Blum. Finally, Pathong. <laughs> it's a trippy word. I think Vietnamese when I see it. Pthong. Uh <laughs> Let's get back to the uh, the spiel we had going with uh, James Tenney.
3: Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I, I, I had James Tenney as my mentor at CalArts. Um, but I was just, uh, you know, I was just enamored with all this new music I was getting introduced to. I, I got introduced to a lot of world music at that point and synthesizers. And then there was a computer uh, that was given to the architecture department of CalArts. But the, the, uh, the lead fellow who was going to be dealing with it wanted some help. And so several of us, including Curtis and Earl and me and this other guy, Paul Taylor, we basically ditched uh, the music department, kind of spent a lot of time down in architecture because they had the data general mini Nova computer. And we were all teaching ourselves how to use it and program and use it for some kind of musical or graphical applications. And it was it was a great learning experience, so much so that I realized I couldn't stay at CalArts because uh, you know, my craft was going to my musical craft was going to require a lot of computer knowledge. I could just tell. So I ended up uh, going back to Columbus, Ohio for that summer in 74. And I switched majors to computer science, went to Ohio State, got out of got it a computer science and music uh, degree there.
0: Can I ask you electronic music? You know, I've had guests on like David Slusser. The uh-huh. ta- they their early start was actually using a tape recorder.
3: Yeah. Well, that's what that's what we worked with back in the day, um, you know, before everything was digital, um, and really before people were using computers for music, uh, tape music was really the thing and in fact, you know, when I started writing music, it was tape music. So you would um essentially, you know, build your composition up on tape, and you could do multi tracking, and you could do editing. Uh, so I used a, I got pretty facile with a, you know, razor blade and a splicing block, <laughs> yep, yep. wrote a piece when I wrote a piece in 78 that had something like over 2000 cuts in it uh, 2000 edits in it. And people I'm were calling, talking
0: about on the back of the tape is a piece of tape to yeah, stick it together. Yep. This is exactly. physical. So something
3: with 1000s of edits
0: is incredibly Oh my god,
3: very, I think, I think Stockhausen complained that tape music was very backbreaking and we've actually <laughs> heavy lift, heavy lift, complicated tape piece. You don't know what he's talking about, but you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a fast process, even if you get really good at it.
0: <laughs> but, but I think maybe it's, I don't know, more to the essential core than, uh, now I'm not against synthesizer, but this idea of the fake uh-huh. keyboard synthesizer. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where you got, what, a fake string section, a fake trumpet?
3: Samples, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's they're what they're
0: not. Yeah. At yeah. first they didn't have the power yet for samples, so they had to, like, kind of create them out of different, Yes. one was called FM and, yeah, frequency modulated. Yep. Yeah. yeah, they were actually, like, mathematical formulas, right?
3: Yeah, and that's that's the thing about early computer music. I mean, you really, really had to know some math uh, to produce a sound or to, you know, produce any kind of, you know, sequence of sounds. Um, but very rapidly, I would say, you know, within a few years, there was some software available that would hide some of that from you and you could work at a more musical level yeah. and not so much at a mathematical level.
0: Well, th- thank God for th- those uh, software developers, right? That's yeah. what, what they're <laughs> happening. Look, I want to play a, uh, a duet you got called Duet petchi
3: Uh-huh. So this is a later piece.
2: THE END
0: A for from Pedro Show, me and Tom discussing how everybody's a teacher. Exactly. And we're always students, right? Life is the fucking classroom. You never graduate, people. That's true. Okay. Sure. We started that chunk of music with Esere Un Bacala from Dewey, Dewey Pesci, which is uh, Tom Blum with Ron Pelletier. And you want to credit Ron?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ron's an exceptionally wonderful jazz drummer and uh, also a DJ. He's been doing uh, jazz programming and DJing in the Bay Area and in, in, in Southern California some for his entire life and uh, was on KCSM and K-Jazz and has uh, had a regular program there for many years. And now he has a uh, podcast on uh, Live 365, I think it's called. Um,
0: wow, that's I tried about 20 years ago when I was starting the show. Me and Brother Matt were trying Live yeah. 365. That's why my shower's... Show is three hours because you had to have a minimum three hours. People ask me why my show's so long. But that's well, was, that was one of their requirements. But this is like twenty years ago. Twenty Yeah. Okay. You yeah, so also like... heard uh, Cedric Noel with nighttime skin and then Tom Blum with Reset. So, so go on with Ron.
3: So anyway, Ron uh, <clears throat> Ron uh, has a program on Live 365 called, I think it's called Jazz from Gallery 41. Um, he does a daily daily show there. Um, yeah, three, Live 365 was up 20 years ago. Then it kind of faded away after a while, but then it, it came back. They got some oh, new licenses. Really? Great. Things worked out. It came back a few years ago, and so Ron mounted his shows up there. Right, and
0: you told me off-air that Ron is the guy who got you into improv.
3: Yeah, I had never really done improvisation, not not with any, you know... I mean, part of composing involves improvising and always has for me, but it tended to be very short stints of things, and I would do a lot of tape editing to combine stuff. But Ron, uh, by the time I met Ron, which was in about 2015 or 2014... I had actually developed kind of an instrument that I could use computer based instrument I could use, and I found that i could if I hacked it a certain way, I could actually do improvisations with it so so I started working with Ron and a couple other guys um, and uh, eventually just kind of got down to to Ron and I in this duet for percussion and electronics. And I was doing a lot of open miking uh, of his work and then doing live processing of his drums and uh, and also doing a lot of feedback, um, but kind of a controlled processed feedback and and learning how to improvise uh, and, uh, using my instrument, which was kind of like learning the instrument from scratch in many ways. Um, but we did some we did some fun and kind of interesting things, I think. and I learned a lot and um we did that one collection of pieces uh that's on Bandcamp that you have drawn from there for that one tune. But um but yeah, then Ron and I kind of went different directions and so we're not playing together anymore, but I uh I just learned a lot by working with him and uh, he opened up a world of improvisation well, to me. Well,
0: let me ask what, you this: Do you use the internet to trade files?
3: A little bit, yeah. But when we were when we were able to play together, it was live. You know, it was like pre-pandemic. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> um, and we tried actually when the pandemic hit and people were sheltering in place and all. We did try very early on to do what we were doing over Zoom, but it was it was. It the latency is bullshit.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's why I say trade files because. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this: first electronic performance
3: that I heard, or that no, I... that you yourself did. Uh, well, I mean, in a as a as a kind of a tape music performance. In other words, the the pieces were all written and done, and it was a matter of, of playing them in a space where there were other people. Um, that was probably. I mean, I did one, um, when was that? That was probably in about 1980, 1981, maybe. Um, Now, uh, compare
0: that with stuff when you were in your rock and roll music phase.
3: Well, I mean, there I started playing you know, when I was nine or ten. Yeah,
0: right, right. Of course, that's a big difference. But, uh, like, after high school, when you were uh, rocking the bass and playing electric Uh, guitar and stuff, and you were doing gigs, right? You were helping other bands and performance. And now you do this thing, the man alone, and with electronic stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. It took me a long time to get to a point where I had a piece, you know, I mean, I would work on these pieces, which I still do, um, that aren't necessarily live improvisational pieces. They're... They're pieces that I write. They're more like creating mosaics, you know, where I, I have an overall structure in mind. And then I start building the tiles, um, the tiles being the individual sounds or sound fly- files or, you know, impulses. And, and I build each tile. I make each tile. And then I start to lay out the mosaic as a whole. Um, and it, it's time consuming. It's easier than doing mosaic. Well, I like this bit-
0: metaphor because this is what I think of the base grout to go in between them tiles
3: between the tiles. Yeah. So <laughs> it, that's a good, it's a good uh, analogy there. So, you know, it's, it, with the advent of things like pro tools and, uh, yeah, right. that it's very easy to sort of temporarily lay down, uh, the ordering of your tiles or your sounds and then change them all around, right, It's just, a right. you know, just a, a click of a button essentially, or remove a mouse. Oh,
2: yeah. right. right
3: that kind of thing with tape. So um, it takes a long time when you do that kind of thing with tape. So <laughs> it, it played, you can't, you know, people else, can't but, imagine,
0: you know, that's my Minutemen days. I remember seeing Ethan James do that. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, June 21, 2021, Dish and Pedro Show. Special guest, Tom Blum. Hold tape hour three. Yeah, don't we all. June 21,
3: 2021.
0: It's the third hour of the for Pedro Show. Right. Wow, well, for Pedro show. We start off the third hour Tom Blum, Cascade, then Headboggle. He was on the show a couple weeks ago.
2: Yeah.
0: A3Y plus PPP minus Z. Yeah, great title. <laughs> Talking about your math, people, <laughs> and then Tom Blum so with uh, things Frankie heard. There was a scary song by Suicide called "Frankie Teardrop." Mm. Oh my God, was that a scary? On the first album, that is a scary song. Uh, okay, we got into your composition thing because I was going to ask you about that. How uh, you know a lot of people now are using their leashes right as like voice memo. And I've started carrying around a a little uh, digital recorder, so I can't remember the little fucking bass lines and melodies and stuff.
3: Do you use any of that stuff? No. Well, you know, one of the things I discovered pretty early on, I think, even when I was in high school, was the power of everyday sound. The, uh, you know, I got heavily, and still am, um, I kind of have a, a... different musics that I work on. And one of the musics that I work on are, are what I refer to as audio postcards, which are place based compositions. They use a lot of field recordings. Ah, okay. And, and uh, and so I use a tape recorder uh, or an audio deck or whatever we call them these days. Um, I've been using one since um, God, probably the early eighties. And I was using them much the way people would use a camera or a video camera. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever I would go anywhere, I would just record the a lot of the stuff going on around me, a lot of the natural ambiences and not so natural ambiences, and then I would start crafting those into sometimes into compositions
0: yeah so that you build the vocabulary for the piece by the
3: yes, acquire exactly. that stuff yeah so and I was fortunate that uh <clears throat> my the the woman that I married in nineteen eighty five and met in eighty two uh, is not a musician, um, but has this, w- this wonderful open ear and is very, very supportive of the kind of music that I write, although she's not always in love with it. Um, <laughs> but she, uh, she's also got the wanderlust. She's got the travel bug. So we used to travel to far flung places. I'd take my recorders with me. We'd spend a lot of time recording and, uh, and she was very supportive of that, and I'm, I'm fortunate um, for that. And then, uh, uh, and then, you know, when coming back from a trip, I would just file the recordings away, try to describe them in some way that I could remember what they were, and then I'd start pulling from those to create these kind of audio postcard compositions. Um, but I have also found, like you maybe, that I use my iPhone or my phone um, as a, a... Oh, yeah, mental...
0: I called it a leash. Sorry, that's some yeah, Pedro a leash, right.
3: <laughs> right. Well, well for me, it's more a guide because, you know, I, I have forgotten more than I've ever known, I think. And so my phone is just a great way to remind me, help me remember things and yeah. you know, it be people's names or, the, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, I, I thought a few years ago, I don't need a smartphone. I need a caring phone. I need one that... <laughs> looked after me as I <laughs> age so, so yeah I use it I use a recorder to you know I use a recorder to collect sounds and also to help me to remember things yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it's helped me a lot because I, I don't know how many licks uh, yeah. I, I would have lost without this guy and, and in the old days I just showed him to my guy you know showed it to D Boone quick enough before I space on Right. I want to play right. uh, this Fantasia number two
1: Thousand ومرحبا الف مرحبا Thank you. مهما الشوميشه واسيدنا الكافر فاش جا الصيد عيا الشمس والقمر ان شاء الله يا العيا دوك الناس اللي خلقو شكون هو الملك هو الغني ان شاء الله واسيدنا قال لجمعود وكل مدينه جمعود ودوك قفار سمعوك اكو كوفر ملي هو 063 البنات يدخلو في وشفوع دياله مردود تقالوا هذا الرملين جيبوه لهم فأمة محمد أخوتي خميس قال له دباس كيف قلت قال له دباس كل غاليوش أشكراتي قلبوشين وليه هو كينتخلش الدقرة والغطرق حالي سيدنا تبعود سيدنا عقامة شميشة طوف سيدنا
0: for from Pedro show last music for this edition, Tom Blum with Fantasia number two, then the plaster Men out of Ithaca game mm. we play. And then finally, Tom Blum with Maroc. Tell me about this Fantasia number two.
3: Well, it's, uh, I, the things I'm doing now, uh, are things I refer to as improvisations. So, uh, after working with Ron and a couple guys doing some improvisation live, I started doing improvisations by myself and um, using this instrument that I've developed over the years and people have helped me develop over the years. And uh, so I just started, you know, doing pro- improvisations in my studio and I I'd, I'd get a swath of, you know, five or 10 minutes of something. And I I'd, I'd thought to myself, yeah, that's pretty good. I'll I'll keep that aside. I'll put that aside somewhere. So this year what I've been doing is I've been pulling from those and I've been using bits and pieces of those improvisations and building them into compositions. So the compositions are sort of, uh, they start with improvisation, but then that gets remolded into something that's structured more the way I want it to be. Sometimes I'll take a whole five or seven minute swath untouched that I created, but I'll tack something onto to the beginning or the end of it that fits well, but was taken from another improvisation, so they're they're composed improvisations. That's kind of why I call them fantasias, because I think that's oh. somewhat a definite the fantasia. Yeah. Um,
0: well, you know the end of I, uh, Love Supreme, John Coltrane uh, quotes his Alabama, and even uh-huh. even wrote it on the on the you know the he he charted it out on a paper right for the band, and he right. says you bring quote bring Alabama and at, at the end there. So. Uh, everything might have a purpose. I mean, they just don't live and die with that piece. It might
3: live, uh, be reincarnated in another one of your pieces. Absolutely. I, I often think that there is no end to a sound. I mean, you can work on a sound. I do a lot of sound design. You can work on a sound. You can get it to a point where it fits something you have in mind or you think, ah, that's really nice. It's done. It's finished. And then, like, two years later, you're rummaging around. You find that same sound, but you have some other purpose for it, and you start modifying it again so it becomes the source for a new sound out. And you can just constantly manipulate and repurpose and rework the sounds that you have already made um, uh, up to a certain point. So, yeah. Sounds uh, never have to be finished.
0: Right, um, right. And so the, the most recent thing we played on the show, was it Fantasia?
3: I think so. You said you played Fantasia number two? Yeah. Um, which is one of these improvisations or compositions. I mean, yeah, improvisations.
0: Improvisation. I like this word.
3: <laughs> and, uh, well, what about Maroc? Well, Maroc is one of the pieces that I wrote. Uh, it's, a, it's what I call an audio postcard. It's, it's more like a journal because it's pretty long. Um, but that was written after traveling in Morocco for three weeks with my wife and uh, collecting sounds from around, you know, the... Uh, the, are, are, the are, you a,
0: are you aware of ZBS Media in upstate New York? No. They put out these things like the, the most famous was the Jack Flanders hmm. series and with the, uh, the guy Meatball Fulton. He's still around, an older gentleman. But I, I, f- I first heard this stuff on KPFK, like the Carl Stone ch- stuff. And, and they called them mind movies. And they have one, and they're like 10 hours, 12 hours. One is called Moon Over Morocco. And they went and found sound. When you're listening to this, you hear the sounds that they, like your postcard. Uh-huh.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Well, ZBS, ZBS.org. If you go there, they've got all kinds of stuff but uh, you know they go to rio or they go they go this thing where the place kind of uh inform the peace yeah yeah that sounds great i'll check them out dbs zbs zbs z is zebra b is in boy and s is in ship okay dot org yeah check that
3: out thanks for the thank for the info
0: yeah and it's from you know the same thing listen to the radio a lot when i was a teenager after yeah, to California
3: from and Virginia. You've mentioned Carl a, a few times. Carl Stone and I went to CalArts at exactly the same time.
0: Oh wow! But, I, I think he's in Tokyo <clears throat> these days teaching, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. And uh, the last time I saw Carl was um, I think I want to say two years ago, which means now it's probably four years ago. And he did a uh, he was uh, at the Electronic Music Festival here in San Francisco. Beautiful. Uh, doing a live uh, performance. Yeah,
0: I, that guy, man, I, I owe him a lot because he opened up my mind and, mm. and all this stuff coming back 40 years later It's for me yeah. is, is, is really great. Where can people find you on the internet, Tom? Uh,
3: a couple places. I, I just have put out a collection of uh, sort of legacy works that take us from 1972 uh, to uh, around 2018. Uh, there's four collections of these things on Bandcamp. And so you can go to Tom Blum at uh, sorry, TomBlum.BandCamp.com. And it's T-H-O-M-B as in boy, L-U-M as in man, dot .BandCamp.com. And then I have my own site, which is TomBlum.com.
0: Yeah, which is important because there's probably links to the BandCamp there. So you, you go there, people, dot com. Find out more yeah. about Tom. He's got all kinds of righteous music. Uh <laughs> Really a uh, big honor to have you on the show. Keep on, keep it on. When you get some new stuff, you know, as you add to this uh, yeah. thing, c- you come back on the show. We can play and talk about it.
3: I absolutely will. Okay. And I, I'm honored to be on your show, Mike. Thank oh, you so much.
0: Right back at you. People, it's been June 21, longest day of the year, 2021. Dish what Pedro. She'll keep you battered up.